another edition of the UK Law Weekly podcast with me, your host, Marcus Cleaver. This week we're going to be looking at the case of RFC 2012 PLC and Advocate General for Scotland. And the citation for this case is 2017 UKSC 45. This is a case that centres around Rangers Football Club in Scotland that, as most football fans will know, have undergone a range of financial difficulties in recent years. The club is now under new ownership, but at the time that was relevant to this case, their parent company was Murray International Holdings Limited. When Rangers employed a footballer, the possibility was open so that they could make a payment to a trust that was set up by another company that was a part of the same group. The trustee would then resettle the money into a subtrust that could then be used as the footballer sees fit, including changing the beneficiaries. At this point you may be wondering why there is such a complicated mechanism in place and why a footballer would want to go through this rigmarole. And I will now explain this in more detail but for the time being the short answer is tax avoidance. Essentially after the money was paid into the subtrust the footballer could get a loan back from the trustee that would be a greater sum than if the footballer was on the normal payroll and had to pay income tax under pay-as-you-earn, or P-A-Y-E. Furthermore, the trust fund was held for the benefit of nominated members of the footballer's family, so that upon his death, all of the loans and interest would be repayable out of his estate, and ultimately the overall value would be reduced when it came to paying inheritance tax. Clearly such an arrangement was not well met by HM Revenue and Customs, But in order to understand their challenge, we need to look at how taxable earnings are defined in the relevant legislation. To do this, we can go to section 62.2 of the Income Tax, Earnings and Pensions Act 2003, that defines earnings as either a. any salary, wage or fee, b. any gratuity or other profit or incidental benefit of any kind obtained by the employee, if it is money or money's worth, Or finally, C, anything else that constitutes an emolument of the employment. The tax authorities felt that the payments to the trust fell within this definition and were therefore subject to income tax and national insurance contributions. When the case came before the relevant tribunals, they held that because the footballers only received the money that was paid into the trust as a loan, it did not fall within the definitions of earnings and therefore they were successful in their bid to avoid liability for income tax and national insurance contributions. The case got appealed again to the inner house in Scotland, and this time HMRC were successful. The judges held that the money was derived from the work of the footballers, and therefore could be subject to income tax, even though the sum was redirected to a third party. When the case came before the Supreme Court, they began by noting that for tax purposes, It doesn't matter whether the money a person is paid in respect of their employment is paid to the employee directly or to a third party. In fact, this can be seen by reference to the 2003 Act itself. While it's true that paragraph B of section 62.2 we mentioned earlier does require a benefit to go directly to the employee, the same is not true of either paragraph A or C. The same principle also applies when it comes to defining a payment in the context of PAYE or pay-as-you-earn. The justices looked at the PAYE regulations 
that speak of payments being made either to an employee or to an other payee. So this clearly encompasses payments to a third party, as in this case. Ultimately, this means that the money that was paid into the trust on behalf of the footballers did still count as their earnings. The court did accept that there was, at least in theory, a risk that the trustee might not act as as expected, in the sense that there was technically no obligation to set up the subtrust or to give a loan back to the footballer. But this doesn't change the fact that the payments were made, and whatever happens afterwards is not of concern to this particular case. Even the bonuses that were made available to the footballers by virtue of the trust mechanism were still derived as a result of their employment, and so it should all have been subject to income tax in line with HMRC's case. Although cases that involve taxation law can often be rather complicated and get into a lot of detail, ultimately this case is more about statutory interpretation. The words and the intentions of Parliament are not always inconsistent, but we can see here how loopholes in the law can be exploited by lawyers and financial advisers to aid the rich and the powerful. In reality, there isn't much of a loophole here, if there is one at all, but rather a failure to account for all situations when it came to drafting the legislation. Perhaps the real question that we should be asking is how such an obvious case has been allowed to get to this point in the first place. After all, it's pretty obvious that Rangers set up this rather strange and convoluted trust mechanism in order to avoid having to pay tax. So why have we had to go through the process of a drawn-out and expensive legal case to point out something that the average member of the public could have worked out within about five minutes. The truth, of course, is implicit in the questioning, comes up time and time again whenever there is a rich people don't pay enough tax crusade in the mainstream media. In the past, we have seen this for corporations, celebrities and politicians alike, and there is little point in rehashing the traditional rant for the sake of a single podcast episode. After all, people who are in a powerful position will always do everything that they can in order to pay as little as possible in the way of taxes. The real issue goes much deeper than this, and in order to really get to the heart of things, we have to question the efficacy of a legal system that facilitates such nuance and openness to interpretation. The only thing that has actually happened in this case is that the law has been applied as it should have been from day one, and a lot of lawyers have made a lot of money working this out amongst themselves. Clearly though, this is unsustainable, but a solution is difficult to find. The Conservatives tend to overcomplicate the tax regime, and this is where the nuance gets in. Meanwhile, the Labour Party want to simply tax the rich more, and while this might at first glance appear attractive, it only serves to encourage greater efforts at tax avoidance. In the end, the best solution may come from the power of the law itself. A stripped-down regime that is far less open to interpretation would not make the legal sector very happy, but could put a halt to ridiculous cases like the one discussed in today's episode. Indeed, if this is met with strict and harsh penalties for non-compliance, then it makes every individual's legal obligation very clear, and no longer offers them the opportunity to hide behind words. Well, thank you very much as ever for listening to this episode and thank you, of course, to bensound.com who provide the theme music. If you do get a chance, make sure to visit the website at uklawweekly.com 
and also to rate and review the podcast on iTunes as that is very much appreciated. Someone left a kind review on the Podbean website um, as well this week, so thank you very much to them for doing that. Uh, Remember, you can download the podcast not just from iTunes, but any other podcast app that you might have. I use Podcast Addict for Android, which is really good and free to use. Anyway, that's enough from me. I'll be back with another episode next week. So in the meantime, thank you very much for listening, and I'll speak to you soon. Bye!